Hello and welcome to People Places Power with me, Nick Cole. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we talk about issues of foreign policy, reputation, and a few other things along the way. And today, we're going to be talking about a small aspect of um, of, of identity, the, the sub-national uh, identities that we see forming around um, regions, cities, provinces, uh, which uh, can contribute to a national identity as a whole, and in other cases can um, tug against the overall national identity. So, uh, Simon, are there good examples out there of subnational identities that have uh, taken off in the public or global public imagination? What are the best examples we have? Well, there, there are undoubtedly some subnational regions that are more famous than many countries. The ones that always spring to mind are places like California, Tuscany, and, and, uh, and places of that ilk. Interestingly, very often, um, and perhaps this is just a European phenomenon, but very often they're famous because of what's produced there. Um, so uh, Tuscany is unusual in the sense that it's famous for many things, not for one specific thing. But if you shift your attention to, say, France, and you say, what are the regions of France that are as well known as, as certain countries, you'll immediately come up with Champagne, Champagne, um, mm-hmm. Burgundy, and so forth. And it's difficult to know, but one suspects that the reasons why those places are well known is simply because their names are synonymous with a globally loved and admired product. In, in those two cases, wine. Um, but perhaps in a sense, it doesn't really matter um, where the fame has come from, that those subnational regions benefit from the fact that their names check out with people. They know what it is. They say, oh, gosh, you come from Burgundy. That must mean something. Um, however, those subnational regions um, are the exception. And I would say the overwhelming majority of subnational regions around the world are unknown uh, to people um, in other countries. And that's often because um, they're of quite recent date. They're often just administrative constructs uh, that are created for bureaucratic reasons, and they don't have much of a hold on anybody's imagination, even domestically, let alone internationally. So that's the regions. And then you've got the towns and the cities. And the towns and cities um, are um, quite frequently um, better known than the regions um, because they, of course, always do have quite a clear identity. Um, You know what a town is in the way that you don't always understand what a region is. And some quite Mm -hmm. small towns can be quite well known outside their country of origin. And again, that's very often because they're associated with a particular um, product or occasionally a service or occasionally a historic event or occasionally um, an individual. Mm-hmm. Well, my, you know, my, my feeling looking at how people imagine their identity is that uh, the city is uh, a deeply ingrained building block of how we imagine ourselves. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a reason why it's called civilization, with with an emphasis on 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 the town or the or the city. Mm. And um, in some ways, it's it's easier to imagine yourself 
as a citizen of a place, uh, of, a, of a town or city, than it is an, an, a nation state. And yeah. I, I've noticed diaspora groups assim, assimilate much more quickly to uh, civic identity than to, mm-hmm. uh, than to, to national identity. Uh, and I'm not quite sure where um, provincial level uh, identities would, would, would come in that. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know it took me about a year to feel like a Californian uh, and I felt like an Angelino after a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of imagining yourself as, as, as American uh, is actually quite a tall order because there are so many other things involved. And speaking to people who, who moved to Britain, I, I, they've described much the same, um, uh, much the same uh, phenomenon. Mm. Um but what does that mean? Do you think then that actively promoting the image of a subnational place that doesn't already have a reputation, uh, isn't already known, is a waste of time? Are there examples of successful promotion of places that, that have somehow managed to introduce themselves to the world through a publicity campaign? It's always so difficult, isn't it, to answer those questions about good case studies because these things are so seldom measured. Um, as, as you and I know, there's a, there's a tendency uh, for, um, for, for governments, whether uh, of cities or, or towns or regions or nations, to pour all their money into these marketing exercises and leave none left for the, for the measurement of the effects afterwards. And anyway, mm-hmm. um, what exactly are we measuring? There's uh, there's a whole conversation to be had about the measurement of effectiveness in this area. Um, as you and I know um, from from shared experience in the UK and and other places too, when these kinds of approaches or campaigns, as they often are, are measured, very often what's being measured is the outputs rather than the outcomes. So right. how many column inches, uh, that's an old-fashioned expression, but how much PR, how much coverage did we get? Um, and and how, how much um, media did we appear in and all the rest of it? But that's not really a measure of success. That's just proof that you've spent the money. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, as, I, as I remember trying to explain this to... Um, to a minister when when we were uh, both um, involved in the uh, UK public diplomacy, um, measuring the outputs of public diplomacy is a little bit like um, my wife giving me the money to join a gym because she wants me to lose weight. And then after six months, her asking for proof that I've spent the money wisely and me just showing her my membership card. Um, it doesn't show a thing. It, it, all it shows. Yeah, that doesn't work, does it? It's <laughs> all that. All that does is show that I didn't spend the money on beer. But what she wants <laughs> is to get on the scales and show that I've lost some weight. And that is not an output. That's an outcome. So outcomes again. If you're doing if you're doing the strategic work properly, of course you can link your public diplomacy or your communicative activity to a desired outcome. In other words, we want more people to visit this town. We want more people to invest in it. We want uh, more tourists, whatever it is. Then the problem becomes not so much measurement, but attribution. Um, How do we know that our activities, the taxpayers' money we spent on them, was actually contributing to that? 
And that's where it starts getting difficult. And there's something of a law of diminishing returns there because you can easily find yourself spending more and more and more and more money on more and more sophisticated measurement techniques. And you get less and less certainty um, as as you spend more and more. So I think one of the things that um, the, the, the government officials find quite difficult to gather about this sort of stuff, but difficult to accept, is that in the end, you're never going to know for sure whether this kind of stuff works. But you can get a good enough set of hints that it's probably worth pursuing. You, I remember you, Nick, you had a very amusing quote about... Um, um, about lumberjacks and uh, how much their trees had grown during the night. Can you remember that? Yeah. No, that's right. Well, that was thinking about um, how do you measure um, effectiveness, particularly of cultural diplomacy, that, right. that uh, some forms of outreach um, work best uh, over the very long term. Mm. And the danger is that if we only value things that we can uh, measure uh, instantly or or in real time, uh, then then we we would we would have very skewed uh, priorities. And the, the 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 forest example comes from it. Well, imagine uh, if if the Ministry of Forests and Agriculture uh, only was interested in things it could it could uh, measure, then it would make everything dairy because you can measure that output by the day. And mm. you have at, so, at some level you have to trust that your forest is. Uh, is is growing it makes mm. no sense to go out and look every day at every tree and mm. think well is this tree bigger how much how much bulk has the tree uh, uh, put on um, you you there are some processes that we just have to accept work in um, in in the uh, in the long term yes it, uh, very interesting of course <laughs> I would say that the metaphor is a very misleading one because you can be pretty sure that those trees are going to carry on growing even if Wittgenstein-like, you're not watching them. Um, <laughs> but in the case of public diplomacy, the mere fact that you continue to spend taxpayers' money on putting out messages certainly doesn't mean for sure that your image is improving. You could be making it worse, and there are plenty of cases that show that can happen. Um, but anyway, let's let's put aside measurement for the moment because I think that would uh, that would be a good topic for a separate conversation one day. But, but getting back to towns and cities and small regions. You asked me if I thought it was a waste of money. In many, many cases, I think it is, because just the amount of mind space that the general public has got for yet more places, and we already find that it's difficult uh, to, to encourage people to think about even a nation that they don't regularly think about, and there are only 200-odd nations. Once you get to the number of towns there are in the world, or the number of subnational regions, the number is so vast and you just have to say to yourself, what possibility is there of me being able to do something that's going to make yet another place, yet another small place that's really relevant to nobody but its own inhabitants, make that register. Okay, so here are a couple of, let me jump in here and say that I think there are some places that have benefited from being known for the diversity of their subnational regions mm. and some places that could do with being better known for subnational regions. And the two cases that I, I would argue are the European Union um, mm -hmm. and People's Republic of China. So right. the European Union, I think it helps that we know about uh, the beautiful cities, subnational regions, and that there are um, uh, places that 
transcend national identity like the, you know the alps or the various coastal regions the rivers uh, and, and and so forth and I, I think the more we know about small and diverse places in europe the less intimidating europe as a concept seems that yeah. if the european union was a super state marching in lockstep it mm. would be absolutely terrifying yeah. So jump across the world to China, where you have a effectively a super state marching uh, its government would like in um, in in lockstep. Um, then the there is a, a real need to introduce diversity to the world to make the um, the the place less scary and more human. I yeah. think it's easier for us to get our head around places that we know and differences. And I, I find in um, a, a lot of the image material coming out of uh, China that they underplay diversity, that they underplay regional specifics. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that um, the, the country is less attractive and more intimidating as, as a result. Now, it may be that it may very well be that the Chinese government wants to be intimidating and wants to have an underlying uh, uh, message of, of, of threat, or at least to have that at the, as a potential outcome at the back of people's minds. Mm. Um, but uh, my, my preference would be for the wonderful diversity that you know, you know from visits to China is one of the, the biggest takeaways is this city is so different from that city and the food is so different in that uh, place, in that province or, uh, or, or that particular sub-region. Mm. I, I, I wish people uh, knew that. So that's my pitch for more um, conversation around uh, sub-national places. Absolutely. And I, I entirely agree with you. I, I, it seems to me that that's a very desirable um, outcome for, for most governments and for the world in general. If you like the box of assorted chocolates approach to, uh, to, to, to nation brand, you open the box and there are a hundred different flavors. And that's, and that's very, very interesting, very exciting. It's very good for tourism. It's very good for cultural relations. It's very good for many things. But I guess the question still stands, how possible is that? Um, what is the general public's appetite to find out about yet another Chinese megacity that they've never heard of? Well, for sure, they're more likely to get interested in it if it's got a very different story um, from, from all the others. But I think uh, th this, this notion of threat is an interesting one because intrinsically cities and regions are much less threatening than countries for the simple reason that they don't do foreign policy and they don't have armies. Um, and and uh, your uh, your sketch there of a European Union um, that only whose only com known components are nation states that's boring and potentially also threatening because those nation states have they do foreign policy uh, they have a, um, a sovereign will they have sovereign freedom of action and therefore potentially are all threatening. There's something, by contrast, remarkably unthreatening about a town or a city or a small region because they just sit there and they are what they are culturally. 
it's almost unthinkable that they would reach out and harm anybody. It's not the Middle Ages anymore where we have warring city-states uh, trying to conquer others. That's um, a behavior which has almost completely vanished off the face of the earth. So um, from that point of view, I'm entirely with you. you know, I say long live cities, long live towns, long live regions, and down with nations, because nations are about sovereign power and they're about armies and politics, uh, which these other, um, the, the, these other phenomena tend to escape from. So, um, but the, the, the next step then is to think about the places where we know about the uh, region, uh, but they are at odds with the reputation of the nation state. So mm. I'm thinking here about Quebec, uh, the Basque country, uh, about um, uh, Scotland, where there's a sort of a, 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 a tension mm. and the uh, image of the province is a seen as a, a challenge to the image of the nation Yes. Uh, how? What do you make of 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 that? Would there is there an argument say that the image of Canada is stronger when there's a a, a well known and appreciated distinctive image for Quebec, and the, oh, and the same for say the... Uh, absolutely. Um, um, the, the the UK is top of mind at the moment, and we were talking just recently, weren't we, about the. Um, about the passing of Queen Elizabeth and the funeral and all the rest of it. And it occurred to me how much of the pageantry and the, and the national, uh, the, 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 the branding that one saw was in fact Scottish rather than English. Um, and how much the UK has benefited in the past from having that Scottish imagery and to a lesser extent, uh, Welsh and Northern Irish imagery, um, that makes it rich and rich is good. The more diversity mm -hmm. there is within your quote unquote brand, I'm using this word an awful lot today, um, mm -hmm. the, the more powerful and the more um, attractive, sticky, magnetic it is. So there's no question that um, diversity uh, creates uh, strength um, and it creates attachment. And up to a certain point, the more challenging that diversity is, if you can handle it wisely and well, the more beneficial it is, because I've always felt that um, good uh, brands, good concepts, good notions do contain a certain amount of um, uh, a, a certain amount of trouble and turbulence and turmoil within them. It's a little bit like um, some kind of little clockwork device, and you put it down on the table, and the internal tensions within it cause it to jiggle around whether it's under its own momentum it, it's um where where you've where you've got conflicting um conflicting is too strong a word but um uh, not identical not perfectly parallel identities and histories mm -hmm. and beliefs and religions and tastes mm -hmm. in color and dress and music and art and all the rest of it that creates that kind of automotive sense and the, and the image doesn't have to be promoted overall because it's got that internal tension within it that makes it jiggle around under its own steam because it's got tension within it. It's, there's, there's, a, um, there's a parallel here in, um, in particle physics, which I'm struggling to, to find, so I won't bother. But 
when, when you've got tension within the body, uh, it creates uh, heat and light and activity and momentum. And that's all good. That's exciting because then it's a living thing that people are attracted to. If it's all harmonious and it's all made of the same substance, then it's dead. It just sits there. Yes. No, I, I, I agree. But then how do you... Um... Well, this then translates surely into into policy advice mm. uh, and that a, a country like Spain uh, needs to have more confidence in its national image being enhanced mm. by the subnational images of the Basque country and of Catalonia and to be accommodating their, um, their self-promotion rather than um, restraining it, or you know, in some cases, we've we've seen them actively outlawing, uh, mm. outlawing it. Yes, it's a ter- it's a terrible idea. It's like um, you know, it's like wanting to cut off your own hand um, because you don't like what it's been doing. I, it, it it makes no sense to me at all. But this is a, again an interesting example of how um, sometimes the need to to trade well and to engage productively with the rest of the international community teaches us better lessons than politics does. Because the lessons that politics uh, tends to incline us towards are the simplification of the state, the single identity, the single message, the single this, the single that. But it's not very good for trade and growth and prosperity because it's not very attractive. Um, And and, and it doesn't really describe how people actually live. Right, um, especially not in in the in the world we have now, with so much mobility of populations, and you right. know we know that identities are multiple, and um, uh, I, I think here we're looking at uh, as we talk about identities around places, the kind of concentric uh, element in a, in an identity where you have the super local, the local, provincial, and so forth, up yes. to a national, which may not be that relevant. Yes, yes, I think that's right. Um, I mean, it, it's, um, it's, it's simple biology in a sense, isn't it? I mean, simple biology shows you that the more you stir up the gene pool, the more, um, the more beautiful and intelligent your offspring become. Um, and if you try to, to limit, the, I speak from personal experience, um, if, you, if you attempt to, uh, to, 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 to make everything uh, be the same and look the same and have the same values and the same approaches and all the rest of it. Um, biologically, that's suicidal because eventually um, you'll have a bunch of weird-looking creatures that can't count up to three. Um, and this, was, <laughs> this is what's wrong with with Nazism. No, the idea that if you get uh, blue-haired, um, blonde-eyed um, people—I <laughs> think I got that the wrong way around—making uh, babies together, then they'll make a super super race. Actually, exactly the opposite is true, as any first-year biology student will tell you. Yes, yes. you just have to go down to the, to the Westminster Dog Show and see what right. <laughs> a limited breeding line does for that. Yeah. For, the, for the hounds of the world, uh, yes, no, no, I take your, uh, I take your, it's, your, it's, your point. It's, um, it's difficult, isn't it, for for countries and their governments to to step away from the conventional idea that there's a single, um, that, that there's there's a single thing called national identity, which is racial, historical, 
re religious, biological, cultural, linguistic, and all the rest of it, because that's still so much there in the programming of nations and in the programming of politics. And somehow or other, they have to find the courage to step away from that and say, actually, in our diversity lies our strength. We don't lose our identity if we have multiple identities. On the contrary, the more multiple identities we can hold together and still be a place where people like to live, the stronger we become. It may be a little bit harder to describe, and it may, be, it may take a little longer to depict, but it's better, it's stronger, it's tougher, it'll last longer, it'll do more stuff. No, I, I agree. And uh, I think that maybe we could describe the world as still uh, recovering from the 19th century mm. and from the, the, the memes un unleashed by the French Revolution mm. uh, and the, the sort of national identities that has that stirred up in that in that in that century was still trying to find ways of living with that moving beyond that and certainly coping with the damage that was done both in terms of imperialism and then the the damage that was done in the 20th century yeah, um, yeah. With, with its uh, excesses do, do you think we're going to go back to medieval city states do you think eventually the nation state will 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 break down well i i i, I certainly think the city needs to be stronger and that it seems to me that cities are better at coping with the challenges we have right now, mm. uh, uh, including climate. I think it's easier to find cities that are coping well with climate than it is it, that it is nation states. So yes. um, it's very hard here to separate what I hope will happen from what I think what what I, I think will happen. Mm. Uh, uh, and uh, un unfortunately, perhaps. I think that the the hold of the, the nation state retains a tremendous psychological hold, even as the city develops a tremendous uh, relevance in people's lives. Mm. Um, the 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 power of, of the national idea and the way in which that can be appealed to, uh, you cannot be underestimated. And we're seeing a lot of that still in this strongman backlash and. Uh, uh, and and a turn back towards national politics, which nobody was predicting uh, 15, 20 years ago. Mm, it's true. You Going back to uh, what you were saying before about how much easier and quicker you found it um, to uh, become Californian than American and Los Angelian than Californian, mm -hmm. um, it occurs to me that cities ask less of you um, to belong. All that's really required for you to belong to a city is for you to live there. Um, the, there. There are no other demands on you, really. But to be the citizen of a nation, uh, there's a whole panoply of stuff that you're expected to do there, some of which involves vowing allegiance to something that you perhaps only dimly understand um, mm -hmm. and singing silly songs and marching in step and mm -hmm. taking on... Uh, linguistic and cultural um, totems, which everybody has to believe in. And all of that, it always seems to me to be oddly old fashioned and very forced and very artificial. And as I say, the nice thing, the nice thing about cities is they don't ask that of you. But I think what a city asks you to do is, is uh, uh, you have to learn about it. Um, mm. You have to uh, ha have a certain level of knowledge in order to access the facilities of the city. So it, it, the burden is on you to participate. And it's a pleasure to do that.
You know, I I, I think that the the, the city does make demands, but that they are light and Mm. quite often fun um, rather than the the demands that are made by the by the nation state. And I would agree that those tend to be um, heavy and um, uh, laden with portent. Yes, sure. It's interesting, though, isn't it? In these kinds of conversations, um, the almost universal assumption that we all live in cities. Um, I don't. I, I live in. I live out in the countryside and always prefer to do so. And it's it, in these conversations, it's almost as if we're just kind of jumping the gun to the day when everybody lives in a city and nobody lives in the country. Um, and well, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point because we can see that tension between cities and countryside is a major factor in the politics of many countries right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, I, it, it is really striking when you look at demographic statistics around the world that the most rural places are headed to be urban majority. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. here about the growth of cities in Africa and the way in which uh, the countryside is becoming increasingly um, depopulated in in uh, in 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 so many um, in so, in so many places, uh, yeah. and I suspect that um, countryside will be seen as uh, satellite to uh, cities, as it was in in ancient times when the uh, the um, farms and and uh, so forth were in the orbit of um, major metropolitan. Uh, areas and yes. were, were, were I'm thinking here about uh, Greece and Rome, yeah. where where the, there was a a, 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 a connection there, yes. uh, and, and which extended into identity. Yes. Uh, so you you may be a, a rural Spartan, but you're still uh, connected to the urban centre uh, in 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 some in in some way. So you have both identities, both rural and and urban simultaneously. Well, we can't we can't overlook the fact that. Potentially, at least, um, cities are more environmentally friendly ways of um, of, of, li- of living than in rural areas. It's just more efficient if it's done well. Um, and a million people in a city is a much more efficient use of energy and space than a million people dotted around the, the, the countryside. But all of these things can be managed differently from the way that we manage them today if we if we choose to do so. Well, I think that we can't all afford to live in the countryside. That would be the quickest way, the quickest way to destroy the environment if uh, um, we were all fortunate enough to uh, have country residences. But uh, a lot lot here to think about. Um, And uh, I I, I think that uh, it's fascinating how this issue of local identity connects us into some uh, pretty big ticket uh, politics uh, material and um, uh, policy material too. Thanks so much for listening. I'm still Nick Cole. I'm still Simon Anhold.